Bruce Willis is back in business. Thanks for saving me, tough guy. And business <laughs> is booming. I was afraid you weren't going to drop by. Hudson Hawk. That excites me. Check, please. The best cat burglar that ever lived. I didn't want to do it. All I wanted was a cappuccino. But he can't retire. Maybe nobody told you. I quit stealing. If he wants to keep on living. This is a brand new tuxedo! Watch your step. <laughs> All right. Let's get down to bad sex. Yeah. All right. People. I gotta get in the Corey Coleman headspace here. <laughs> People. <laughs> you know what I think our theme are you recording right now? Um I'm recording right now. What's up? You know what I think our theme for tonight is? What? Self indulgence. Yes. That's a good way because to start the segment. Oh man. That, somehow you know when a movie is being self indulgent. It's not about like something anybody says. It's just about how the film progresses yeah i think we've got two great examples of self-indulgence right here yeah so we're talking about our list movies this week uh where andrew gives me a movie he's seen and i haven't and i give him a movie that i've seen and he hasn't uh, basically movie swap you could call it um yeah. and uh so i'm gonna start this week uh because i saw a movie which i've actually heard about for a long time and i never quite watched uh, because I, it just its reputation was so notorious it kind of preceded it um and uh are you gonna start the clock or oh yeah all right good um so the movie that we have to talk about uh first is hudson hawk um starring bruce willis oh boy does it star bruce willis um oh this movie so this is bruce willis basically getting you know, coming off of a period of time where, you know, you if you make Die Hard, you've made one of the biggest movies in the world. You're on top of the, you know, you're on cloud nine. And yet... You're in, swinging on a star. Yeah. And yet, between 1990 and 1991, he had not one, but two gigantic bombs back to back. Like, notorious, soul-crushing disasters. The other one was Last Man Standing, right? No, no, no. That came years later. Oh, never mind. No. I don't think that was so much a disaster. It was just kind of like it came and went. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen it. No, the year before that was Bonfire of the Vanities, oh. where he basically, he and Morgan Freeman in that movie were so miscast, especially if you read the book that it was based on, it was like, how did this happen? Like, how, how did they choose these? How, oh, God. But in Hudson Hawk, he, this is actually the one and only time in his career where, if you noticed, uh, he has a co-story writing credit. Oh, I noticed. Yes. So, he... <laughs> I wrote that down in capital yeah. letters. Now, the thing is, though, going into this, so this movie was directed by Michael Lehman and co-written also by Daniel Waters. Now, this team actually had just come off of their own success because they had made the movie Heathers, oh, which, is kind Heathers. Of, which is kind of like a cult you know, su success, you know, with, yeah, with very, very affectionately remembered film. Yeah. Because it's a very witty, crafty satire of high school life. And actually something very dark about suicide. Dark, dark, darkly comic. Yeah. Cool. Whereas this is neither dark nor comic. Um, <laughs> Hudson Hawk. So this is about a, a cat burglar. Uh, Bruce Willis is this guy who just gets out of jail and yet he's put on the spot by 
Danny Aiello to is it Danny Aiello who gets him to do it or someone there else? There are lots of people pressuring him to do this <sighs> robbery. Yeah, like, a lot of people. And he gets while it. he's leaving the prison, it seems like, "Hey, we'll see you around soon, right?" He's yeah. like, "No, I'm getting out." And, and yeah, his parole sure. officer says, "Hey, I got a job for you." Yeah, his parole <laughs> officer is the one who asks him to do a job. And then some mobsters try uh, as soon as he gets back to his cafe, you know, one yeah. of them played by Frank Stallone. Oh God! He, yeah, they say, "Hey, the do this job quality. for us." So and he, he decides to do it. Steals this horse from an auction house. Oh, and no, then no, he but, finds out. That- oh, no, no, no! But you're skipping over the best part. He and Danny Aiello have kind of a musical number as they're stealing the horse. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gord. Now you know why I wanted you to see this film. You wanted me. All right, I'm just gonna say it out front. This is the worst movie I've seen from the whole list. This um, is the worst one. Oh yeah, I think so. Wow. Uh, at least so far, I hope that I don't think Gross Point Blank or Doctor Five Doctor. Never mind. Doctor Five Thousand Fingers. Yes. Tea. Here's my problem. All right. So basically, then what happens after he does this cat burglary? He also then he gets kind of mixed up in stealing this artifact from Da Vinci. Right. Actually, that's how the movie opens. It shows Da Vinci in the past making this art, like this piece of art or something. Or no, he has a piece of technology. Right. That he creates. And, and Bruce Willis, Hudson Hawk, he has to he has to steal several more artifacts. He's being blackmailed into it. So. Here's my problem with this movie. All right. In a nutshell, it asks it basically asks you, is this funny? And I don't think it's funny. I, I think, think it's stupid. I think I think this was a chore to sit through. I think this is stupid, but in a cartoon way. Uh, I mean I wish like maybe if how, it had been a cartoon, it would have been better. Like if a cartoon character was trying to run away and then instead of running through the open door, he closes it, then runs through the door. This is what Hudson uh, Hawk is. You're giving too much credit to this. I think that this is, you know, it, it kind of, I think it's one thing for, it's a caper movie. For That's a big part of it. Yeah. But, very simple plot. Yeah, very simple plot. It's all about having these It doesn't get in people. its own way. Yeah, but the lines, all the lines spoken, it's constantly, consistently, it's it's being you over the head with it's like every all the actors are saying these lines which they must think, oh this line is so funny the audience is gonna love this, and I just was like oh this movie is so smug, I, that's what that's that was the feeling I got from this movie it was artificial, it felt very artificial in a way hmm. and like it's 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 I guess it is also the cartoonist thing. Um, like it felt like an episode. I think an episode of Chippendale Rescue Rangers was like subtle <laughs> compared to this. Let's you talk, know, let's talk about some of the other performances. Oh you yeah, got, well there are a lot of actors in this movie. I mean, you have Andy McDowell, right? James, who Coburn. at one point, by the way, Andy McDowell, who I thought she would be the one person who might be kind of normal. I think a big problem with this movie is everybody's over the top. You needed oh. one person to be normal, and at one point, Andy McDowell puts on a dolphin she, she imitates a dolphin <laughs> she deliriously imitates a dolphin why <laughs> oh i'm so angry about this movie oh uh, you have them you also james have this coburn james coburn is the main villain you have um we blow up ba- space shuttles for breakfast what that's one of his lines <laughs> oh yeah that's right um, also, an actor who I really like from a movie called With Nail and I, this guy named Richard E. Grant. Uh, he's oh, the, He was the guy yeah. with uh, Sandra Bernhard. Yeah. Who, you talk about how the, nobody the is selling villains. this movie. Oh, they're just like, 
oh, they're hitting 11 over and over and over again. Yeah, Richard Grant is, he, he's so over the top. It's like he, he buys into everything he does, like, 100%, and then goes even further than that. So he goes absolutely ballistic in this film. Yeah. Um, and Sarah, Sarah Bernhardt. Oh, Sandra Bernhardt is the other woman with their tree. Grant, did I say Sandra Bernhardt? I feel like is I might Sarah or Sandra? Sandra Bernhardt. Oh. Yeah, and she's somebody who, at times, I mean, I, I don't know if I've, I've only liked her in one thing, and that was King of Comedy. And that oh. was because she was meant to be this super over-the-top presence. But, like, everybody, and, like, Bruce Willis, he's constantly throwing out one-liners, which, that could be, like, I thought about we how... We want you to steal this one from the Louvre in Paris. Oh, as opposed to the Louvre in Wisconsin? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I may just like dumb jokes. I mean, look, I can like dumb jokes, but the delivery counts. And I just felt like Bruce Willis's delivery was just off here. It was like, you know, it, it made me think back to why, you know, Indiana Jones and Notorious worked. I mean, those in a way are kind of similar story-wise to this. You have a caper involving getting some kind of object. It doesn't matter exactly which. It's something in a, an exotic location. Here it's Rome. Um, I liked one seek, but, but the problem is, is that it's just, and at least in those movies, they had a balance of the comedy with actual tension. There was no tension in this movie. You're just watching, no, very much, you're no. just watching comedic scenarios. Uh, I was about to interrupt myself. Um, there is one, <laughs> you're was, so upset by this. Movie. No, it's all right. Uh, there was one, <laughs> there was one sequence I kind of liked. It was when Bruce Willis has to steal that, um, not not the not the first not the horse. It was the steal second the book, thing. the codex. Yeah, I actually like that. It was because it was done in there wasn't really much dialogue. He was by himself. He wasn't quipping. How he gets the book was actually kind of creative. Yeah, because he has to go this convoluted plot that he figures out for himself because he's wandering around and he's like he writes down these notes like baseball and uh bat or 100 he, postage stamps yeah he writes down all these things and then you see him enact this you know plan to get the book out and it's yeah. like he gets it through a skylight because there's a giant like thing that's gonna fall over the book if anybody tries to cross the line it's like a giant game it. of mouse trap. yeah it's a giant game of mousetrap i kind of enjoyed that that was where the cartoonishness kind of paid off but aside from that like that that was a good sequence mm. but it was just I just felt this constant sense watching this movie of like the actors and the filmmakers thinking, oh, we have a hit on our hands, you know, jokes, you know, and it's just you know jokes, you know, co topical jokes about Nintendo and cappuccino jokes. How, how and, long were you in prison? Let's just say I never saw ET. Yeah, <laughs> jokes that are kind of dated and yeah. about stuff like, and it's. Uh, you know, it's like no arbiter of good taste seemed to be on the set, mm. at least for me. I mean, maybe again, if you found it funny, then I can't, I can't sway you another way. You know, if you if you like the comedy, then you probably. But do you think the movie was kind of a mess in some ways? It is not in terms of story, because you say there is there's no tension. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, there, you, you know exactly this guy is gonna go through the motions and maybe steal this thing or maybe not. Yeah. But, you know, there's no real danger. No, not really. But there are... <laughs> I I guess what I like about this film, that the one thing I put my finger on, is that there are so many weird things that happen. 
Yeah. Mostly centered around David Caruso. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I feel like he wasn't in the movie that much. He was not that much. He didn't even have a speaking line. Yeah. Like, the first time you see him, Bruce Willis, he, he like, he, he ends up in this spot, and David Caruso, like, holds out a card in front of him that says, my name is Kit Kat, this is not a dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of weird things, and just, like, that whole sequence where they're driving across the Brooklyn Bridge, and yes. Bruce Willis is out. On da- the, dangling from from that, yeah, and he's making all of these quips where it's just this just feels like I'm in like another plant, like again, like a Chippendale cart Rescue Rangers cartoon. Yeah, I expected like Montgomery uh, Monty the Mouse or whatever his name was to pop Monterey, Monterey Jack. Yeah, this this is like if this was a Chippendale Rescue Rangers cartoon, I actually would have liked it more. Yeah, but this is clearly a world unto itself. It's a world unto itself. I just I couldn't buy into it because it was so artificial. Like again, you have that scene where Danielle and Bruce Willis are about to steal that horse, and they they break out into a song. Where are they singing to? They're like going on, like because you hear the music playing because the movie adds it in. Yeah, it but cha- it's like it changes its rules to like to I, musical rules. I felt like I like I had a weird flashback in that moment. This is so random because I've never seen the full movie, but I thought about that nostalgia critic episode where he talked about the the Tom and Jerry movie, mm. where the first time that you suddenly hear Tom and Jerry speak. And they sing about being the best of friends. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, Nostalgia Tricks, like, my God, I've seen the death of Tom and Jerry. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Like, as we talk about how um, we started the segment off saying that, like, self indulgent mess. This was uh, at a time when movies didn't get to this budget. This got to $70 million. Wow. Which in 1990 money was a lot. Yeah. Um, and it did not make back its budget to say this. As a matter of fact, coincidentally with um, the way that Heaven's Gate is cited as the movie that sunk uh, United Artists, this is actually looked at specifically as the movie that, along with some other disasters, sunk TriStar Pictures. Hmm. And originally they were their own company. They were not connected with Columbia Pictures. But after this, they got folded in with Columbia. And... Um, <laughs> And yeah, I feel like, yeah, Bruce Willis, he co-wrote the story, but apparently I read that he and the director had a lot of clashes on set, which would not be unlike Bruce Willis on a lot of other movies, like mm. with Kevin Smith, where, you know, I could just picture they'd be on set and they'd probably want to have a line and Bruce Willis would come with with like, whoa, 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 man, no, we got, that's all wrong. We got to talk this way. And I don't know, maybe with another actor, I don't know if. I really bought Bruce Willis as this character. Mm. Maybe that was part of it. Because some of the actors I were think, game. I think part of the whole reason this movie was made because it was Bruce Willis basically at the top of his, at the height of his career. Yeah, he could do whatever he, he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. So, and a lot of the people who did work on this film were people who were his friends. Yeah. Again, and, yeah and they had this uh, this notion of, man, what we're going to be doing is so hilarious. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that's the thing. They didn't really take the audience into account, I felt like, when I was watching this. Maybe they did. I know this has kind of a cult now around it. Um, again, the fact that I know that you part of the reason you watched it was because it was on the 10 minutes about your favorite movie, right? Right. So somebody put this as their favorite movie. One of, of their five. Yeah. And so that's that's pretty high for, this, for the quality of this movie 
which is just all over the place. It's one like, thing that might explain why I like it so much better than you. Okay. Maybe because I have absolutely no context. Huh. Where I you came to this I came to own. this movie, I like knew it as a title, and then someone said, Hudson Hawk, this is one of the movies I'm gonna talk about. And I'm like, okay, let's watch that. And I, w- I wasn't even thinking about any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I was entirely either, but I knew some of the backstory. I know about Bruce Willis being a super egomaniac. And, uh... <laughs> but yeah, this movie, I knew the first time I saw it, it was self-indulgent. Yeah. I, they make time for extra jokes that don't necessarily need to be there. Yes. And, you know, scenes go on for too long. Yeah, and it's way don't... too long. Yeah. And, yeah, just lots... The thing is, a lot of lines spoken, which... There are moments where they try to create some sort of reality. And they even try to have a twist involving one character who supposedly dies. And then it's like, oh, you're not going to kill off that character. No, that's that's not this movie. Oh, wait, of course he's back. We're almost out of time, but you want to hear the best worst line from this film? Remind me of it, because I'm sure there are a lot of them. You won't be attending that hat convention in July. Oh, yawn. <laughs> I don't right. know why I yawned at that. That's enough. All right, that's good. So if you want to check out Hudson Hawk, you can because it's out there. Um, <laughs> that's like, oh, if you want to see this thing, go ahead because it's visible. Yes. All right. So uh. let's get on to the next movie though because, um, and I'm going to start the clock now. Um, now we have a movie though that I gave you to watch, which is about another movie by a once self-indulgent filmmaker. But he wound up with one of the best films ever made. Right. Hearts of Darkness. The documentary about the making of Apocalypse yes. Now. Yes. Hearts of Darkness. A Filmmaker's Apocalypse is the subtitle. Right. Um, now, this is a documentary from, that came out in the early 90s. Originally, it was going to be just for uh, television, but, they, but then they decided, oh, no, we have... I think we kind of have something here, so let's put this out there. And it just now, sh- it now shows to the get, making yeah. of apocalypse now now to give you just uh just the skinny on the story apocalypse now got uh was uh francis ford coppola was going to make apocalypse now went all the way to the philippines to shoot it with the whole crew and everything and after non-cooperation by the philippine government after a typhoon after fights with marlon brando after martin sheen had a heart attack they made the film after more than 200 days of shooting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually it's funny there is a, there's a, when they were supposed to be around 30 something days of shooting. It was supposed to be something like like uh maybe 12 weeks, maybe 16 weeks at most. Right. And it took here's a statistic that the movie obviously doesn't share because this was made before these movies were made. The shooting schedule for Apocalypse Now ended up being the exact same shooting schedule for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. All wow. three of them. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, I think Peter Jackson had a better handle on his stuff than Coppola. Oh yeah, but yeah. To but shoot- I mean, even if even if you say like twelve weeks of shooting, I mean, it, the thing went into two hundred thirty-eight days of shooting. Oh yeah, and yeah. then and-, and then it had a post-production schedule, which the the movie actually doesn't really touch on how long the movie was in post. Yeah, because if you ever there's actually a book about the making of Apocalypse Now. That is equally fascinating, and that goes into how there was a lot that went into crafting the movie we see today, which we don't even get to see in the documentary, because, frankly, the, the documentary shows so much, doesn't it? I mean, I was leaving it off as a question, but... Uh, <laughs> okay, but oh, what's interesting, though, 
as the documentary shows, this was going to be a George Lucas movie. Yeah, George Lucas and uh, John Milius. Yeah, well, Milius John Milius. Script. Yeah, he still stayed on as the script writer for Coppola. Right, and Coppola just tore the script apart. Yeah. <laughs> well, he... I, I love the shot. There's a shot of when when John Milius came back to the set. I, I, uh, he was talking about oh, Milius is back. He's going to help Coppola go sane again and there's a shot of the script that Kofla was working from and basically everything is crossed out <laughs> and new lines are written over yeah and then well because Milius had the idea for the end of the movie would be like like will like uh willard and kurtz working together to shoot all the natives or something yeah and kurtz had all these lines like do you know what it's like to shoot with your manhood and like lines like that <laughs> and like you see milius reading the lines from the script and as i you know i had told you about john milius from that documentary you see what i'm talking about yeah. now that he's basically john goodman from the big lebowski yeah <laughs> um it makes sense now yeah uh it's just it's a the document it's just a fascinating story of how an artist perseveres through so much you know and some of it was probably you know maybe you know because he went kind of crazy himself he lost a hundred pounds yeah I mean half of the half of the of the problems encountered by this production are not were not Francis Ford Coppola's no I mean I the Philippine government was going to give them helicopters but they also had to fight the rebels right in su the southern Philippines and they had to take the helicopters away yeah without warning and a typhoon is certainly not Coppola's fault but then the other half certainly is his fault well the because fact, he well, goes in there with a plan he goes in there with a script and then, as he's going on, he does he decides to do different things. George Lucas in the documentary says he's a very Coppola is a very intuitive filmmaker. And then eventually, he throws out the whole plan. Well, well, there were certain issues. I mean, when you, Brando, I think, really did mess things up for him. Although it's funny that I mentioned that I watched this Brando documentary in the two minute movie. Listen to me, Marlon. From Marlon Brando's point of view, he thought. Oh, this whole thing is so wrong, Coppola. This will not work. We have to start this from the ground up. We need to make this character all over again. And there are a number of people who now look at the end of Apocalypse Now. I'm not one of them, but they say that's the, like the worst part of the movie. Yeah, when, I, I, when I saw it, it was a while ago that I saw it, but mm -hmm. I found it to be very uh, unfulfilling, to say the well, least. Well, it's very dark. It's like you have a guy who's in the shadows and Coppola was shooting him in such a way as to n not 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 to hide it but to kind of slightly obscure the fact that Brando he weighed like so 300 fat. pounds. Yeah. yeah, that that was the movie where he finally let himself go. And you know, from there on he never gained it back his uh, original uh, you know, slender figure. Yeah. Um you know, cuz cuz Coppola had this vision like cuz Kurtz in the book is this guy who's like gaunt. Yeah. And you know, he's more like that. So, Brand, you know, Coppola had to go the other way. I think it was just a crappy situation for him all the all around. Like, watching the documentary, yeah, there are some things that Coppola probably could have managed better. But under the circumstances, he probably did the best he could. Yeah. And to a certain extent, that works to the film's advantage. I mean, the ending of Apocalypse Now is uh, a little too open, perhaps. And a little... Uh, and Esoteric. Maybe. Uh, but the... But... The whole trip down the river mm -hmm. is not tightly sewn together. It's not carefully plotted, what I mean, I think. 
mean you mean you mean Apocalypse Now the movie? Yes, the movie. I'm not talking. Huh. I th- yeah, we've started talking a lot more about the actual movie than the documentary. Yeah, but uh, the the entire uh, narrative of Apocalypse Now is kind of loose. Well, it's a little episodic, but it's also like I think he was trying to take from Hearts of Darkness, but also take from the Odyssey. Right, and so you that... have like the you have like the sirens being the Playboy bunnies. Right, and there's and that works to the film's advantage how it's not so tightly constructed because it's more the, the it's entire a vision, idea it's Cop- a drug-fueled vision of vietnam right uh, the, but the entire vision coppola talks about is going on a journey where uh, willard is going on a journey mm-hmm. to that helps him learn more about himself it's not just a journey into the jungle it's a it's a journey into himself yeah uh, where when he confronts kurtz he's going to discover something yeah and it, and the whole production is gets compared to that too i mean it's so arduous that yeah you know, Coppola is talking he about find in himself yeah and you know the the actors and the rest of the crew and that gets mirrored by the audience too mm. the, the 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 loose and episodic nature of the journey allows you to put your own in, uh, insert your own ideas and interpretations into it oh sure so the characters aren't just going on the journey you are going on on the journey with them oh absolutely yeah, you you you're you're along for the ride, you know, unless if you're not. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean he because you know Coppola he started off shooting the big Valkyrie sequence. That's like, you know, when you watch Apocalypse Now, that would be like the high point for just that would be like if for any filmmaker, that would be the be all end all for your career. Whereas for him, it was just one sequence in this movie. Yeah. Um. You know, I uh, with this documentary, I feel like it does a really good job of showing him. It creates this portrait and a very personal one because his wife Eleanor Coppola was on like audio recording him at times where he didn't even know he's being recorded. Yeah. Uh, you know, complaining about or if we can't get Brando, then we'll get Al Pacino. If we can't get Pacino, we'll get Nicholson. If we don't get Nicholson, we'll get Robert Redford. We'll get all these people. You know, if there's we don't no get, and if we don't get Redford, we'll get somebody because someone's gonna want to be in a film. <laughs> yeah, somebody's gonna want to be in a film in three weeks. Yeah, uh, I think I will picture Robert Redford as Kurtz. Now, I don't know if I can see that. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah, we talked earlier this year about the 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 book Final Cut. Yeah, where Gates of Heaven actually, got, yeah, it went through this very troubled production. And Michael Cimino kind of went crazy. And that film failed. Mm-hmm. So why do you think, if we have somewhat similar circumstances, why does Apocalypse Now succeed? Well, Whereas Gates of Heaven... Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. There you go. Hey, I, I call Wait it... Wait a minute. I said Gates of Heaven earlier and you nodded. No, no, <laughs> I, right. no I didn't. I said... He- Uncle Ben. All right, let's all right. Uh, let's move on. All right. um, no, no, no. The reason Heaven's Gate. All right, flop. Apocalypse Now. Successful. Um, they're well the, regarded. Okay. Well, I can give you a number of reasons. Okay. One thing Coppola had more of a reputation from the Godfather movies than Chimino had from the Deer Hunter. I mean, the Deer Hunter was a success, but it wasn't. You know, he didn't make two of the biggest movies of all time. Like Coppola was kind of like this legend in Hollywood by that point. Um. Apocalypse Now, I think you had more of a cohesive cast. Heaven's Gate, again, I know you haven't seen it, but that movie is really all over the place where you just see 
it's not a cohesive narrative in that in that movie because it's just like not very interesting i think that uh the length of that movie apocalypse now when it first came out was two and a half hours the redux i know is three hours and change right, but the, yeah. but, but a two and a half hours is more manageable right um i think apocalypse now also you're dealing with vietnam um you know that was a subject that interested people because you didn't really deer hunter you had a little bit of vietnam but it was more about the soldiers when they come home apocalypse now is the first movie to fully immerse an audience into the nightmare of vietnam but to it, kind uh, of give it a kind of not just weird, a visual way twist. but as you say in the in, in its audio production as well yeah you you also, you, t- you, you talked about how awesome the, the oh yeah when i saw the movie again yeah when i saw it this summer apocalypse now See it in a theater if you ever get a chance because the sound design of that movie, I felt like like there were moments when they're walking through the jungle to go to the tiger. And, and by the way, in the documentary, that's a great story where <laughs> Frederick Forrest is talking about like, well, we have this, well, we have this tiger for you, Mr. Coppola, and he's really hungry today. We haven't and, fed him in a week. Yeah, and the actor is like, oh god, <laughs> Coppola is telling him to get closer, and he's like, you get clo- closer, Francis. Yeah, you get closer. Um, and again, you also had Marlon Brando and Martin Sheen. I think they were slight, they were bigger draws than. Chris Christopherson and Isabel Hooper. No one's a bigger draw than Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I know there's so many Chris Christopherson fans lying around the block for Heaven's Gate. So I I think those were a lot of the big reasons. You had subject matter, you had the reputation of the director, you had star power. Um I think a lot of it comes down to subject matter too. Mm. A western a, a kind of muddy, bleak western about immigrants who are going to get killed is not really as interesting to people as, you know, combining hearts of dark heart of darkness with Vietnam, Hmm. you know, again, just Vietnam. And, you know, that was something that when you start to watch that movie, you know, you get the chills, you know, that shot that just stays on the the trees and you hear the end and then like trees explode. You know, that's a way to start a movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you think those are valid reasons? You certainly do have a good point with subject matter. I mean, if I had to choose between a Vietnam movie and a muddy western, yeah, probably yeah. probably Vietnam. I think also, and, yeah, you I know, think Marlon Brando too. I think Buzz is also a big thing too. Like Heaven's Gate, you know, it played for one week. The reviews were absolute garbage, and then the director, you know, he could have left the movie out there and maybe see how it played, but he pulled it out of theaters and then brought it back in this other cut six months later and then it tanked again whereas apocalypse now coppola played it at the Cannes film festival where it did actually really well and then you know it won the palm d'or as the movie shows mm-hmm. um and so that helped its reputation a little bit so that by the time they also he also put it out in the summer uh when people were going to the movies a lot it was a blockbuster you know in a way it was yeah. it was a smash hit um Let's talk about how you think Coppola comes off in the movie. He comes off... I think he has some... He has a mix of humility and grandiosity. That's fair. I wouldn't say... I would be a little more precise. He does... He's very artistic. Yeah. There are all these scenes I remember that I actually found kind of inspiring where he's just sitting at his typewriter and he comes up with an idea and he turn Like, his wife is shooing him from, like, all the way across the room. He's like, this is the scene where... He's going to do this thing, and he's going to reach out to this character. 
And I was just like, wow, you have a lot of passion right there. I mean, yeah, you, you see him working the whole time. You, like, No matter how much he complains or no matter how much he's he's building himself up and talking about art and poetry and stuff, he's right there d- down there with everybody doing exactly what they're doing. He's typing. He's sitting down with Marlon Brando. He's doing the work. Yes. So even when he, when he, seems, when he sounds pompous, when he's talking about, uh, you know... The, his whole ideas for American Zoetrope, or or just like having a crappy movie, or thinking about shooting himself, he's he's not just sitting down in the in the dirt whining to himself. No, he's making a big epic movie. Yeah, and that's the other thing I have to admire about him too: him putting up his own money, yeah, to make sure that he got that film done. Oh, and oh, one last thing: uh, that scene with Martin Sheen and uh, the extended take in the mirror. Yeah, and that's another thing I okay. Why do they take this thing so seriously? Time. Any other ex- additional words? Oh, no. Nothing that I could say in under a minute. <laughs> All right. Well, But still, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you watched it. I thought you would kind of... Di- it's interesting. It's, is it, was it the only documentary I gave you in the list? I think so. I think, think so. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if you guys want to check out Hearts of Darkness, it's available on DVD. I actually... I regret that I... Years ago, I have I, but one life to give for your country. No, but no, no, no. <laughs> Good save. No, uh, no. I was about to say that. No, a few years back, I regret nothing. No, the Apocalypse Now was put out on Blu-ray, and they put it out in this big edition called like the Complete Dossier. Yeah, like as if you're getting the Kurtz dossier. It had both both versions of Apocalypse Now restored take that george lucas and and you had um also hearts of darkness included with that so i would if i had held on to that blu-ray i could have just lent that to you but yeah. but you can check it out there or from your on it's on dvd um or if you want to check out hudson hawk it's out there and if you have any thoughts about these movies send us an email uh, you can reach us wages of cinema at gmail.com uh, and you can reach us on facebook uh you can also reach us on twitter at wages of cinema and um you know or find some other way uh you know i maybe at some point smoke signal yeah carrier pigeon yeah be nice if we could maybe someday do the uh the postcard thing like uh welcome to the basement but i don't oh, know yeah. what kind of comments we'd get would you send us a postcard i would send us a postcard yes. there you go you could set you could go down to the shore and send me a postcard and i'll read it on air speaking of self-indulgent all right yeah but when we come back uh we're gonna celebrate um something really momentous for the wages of cinema so stay tuned to me the great hope is that now these little eight millimeter video recorders and stuff are coming around some just people who normally wouldn't make movies are going to be making them and you know suddenly one day some little fat girl in ohio is going to be the new mozart you know and make a a beautiful film with her little father's camera recorder and for once the so-called professionalism about movies will be destroyed forever you know and it'll really become an art form that's my opinion